Simple Beep, episode 27, Apple Advertising. Hello, and welcome to Simple Beep, a podcast looking back at the history of Apple and the Mac community. I'm Ed Cormany. And I'm Brian Satorius. And in this episode, we're embarking on our second year of Simple Beep, which is very exciting. And today, we're not actually going to talk about any Apple products, but the way that we started off our first episode with the startup chime, looking for something that was representative of Apple and the culture that surrounded it. We're going to do something a little bit similar on this episode. And what we're going to look at is Apple's advertising campaigns over time. So where the startup chime is sort of an emblem of the hardware of Apple, I think the advertising is a good emblem of the culture that has surrounded Apple over the years. And just like the startup chime translates well to podcasts, most of the ads we'll cover on this episode are Apple's TV and uh, video spots. So we'll be able to drop in some clips for you to listen to. And of course, if you want the full experience, there'll be lots of links in the show notes going to YouTube videos that thankfully preserve a lot of these, many of them not in the best quality, but at least give us a window into the past of these many advertising campaigns that Apple has developed over the years. And of course, the most recent Apple ads are now officially put out on their YouTube channel in glorious high definition, and we'll put a link to that as well. So I think that if we're going to talk about Apple advertising, let's say you know, we'll roll it all the way back to the beginning. And of course, we're not going to talk about the very first advertisement that Apple ever did. But if you think of the start of Apple advertising, I think everyone's mind jumps immediately to their iconic spot that introduced the Macintosh to the world on the Super Bowl in 1984. And I imagine that there's hardly anyone who's listening to this episode who hasn't at least seen one of these grainy YouTube videos of the 1984 ad. And well, it was standard def, so it probably wasn't a whole lot more glorious than this, even in its original form. Uh, but yeah, it's a well-known award-winning advertisement that Apple put together and began their long run with one of their best advertising partners, which was the Chiat Day Advertising Company. So they were the creative geniuses behind the theme of 1984. They were the ones who decided that the best pitch was to go off of Orwell's classic book and use that reference, why 1984 won't be like 1984. And to depict the world of personal computing, even though that at this point, the Apple II was a pretty good platform and not particularly boring to my mind. Uh, but they decided that they really wanted this image of the Macintosh just blowing everything out of the water smashing the status quo. So it's all men in gray jumpsuits who are the drones who are beholden to the big brother figure who goes on this droning rant about <laughs> their glorious society. And you can't really hear him throughout the entire thing, although the screen that he's projected on shows some of the, the speech in captioning underneath. And, you know, there's quite a bit of production value here for the year that it was happening. It obviously produced during 1983 and aired in January 1984. And the thing with this speech is, it's trying to puff up this faux society that you're supposed to buy into just on your knowledge of 
the novel 1984 and the themes that are being put here in 30 seconds. And some of the lines are pretty funny, especially one stood out to me today. So this is the enemy, right? This is what the, the woman who's coming down in the orange shorts and the tank top with the Macintosh, quote, Picasso logo. It's not actually Picasso. I think we covered that in a previous episode. Uh, but it's got, you know, this, it's the only flash of color in the entire advertisement, except for the Apple logo at the end. So she's obviously the symbol for Apple throughout the advertisement. So Big Brother is the enemy saying these things. And my favorite line out of all of this is that their boring conformist society is, quote, a garden of pure ideology, (laughs) (laughs) which to me in 2015 sounds like, oh, yeah. Apple would say that. They love gardens. They love ideology. It's pure and beautiful. <laughs> so you you wonder, oh dear, have we come 30 years later to actually Apple is the the mean big brother figure? Well, probably not. I think we still have a soft spot for Apple, but maybe they are a bit of the status quo today being one of the largest companies in the world. It's kind of funny to look back and see that imagery that they used not really come back to haunt them. I mean, nothing's really haunting them at at this point, and it doesn't look like anyone is going to throw the sledgehammer in the same way that the woman in the advertisement does. But it's kind of funny to think about. That ad was a, a landmark in advertising and a landmark for the company, and it wasn't really matched maybe ever, but certainly not for a long time. Well, one thing that's interesting that... I don't have in our show outline here, but I saw when I was looking at lots and lots and lots of old Apple ads, is that apparently the very next year, Apple also ran a Super Bowl ad that is called Lemmings and is regarded as one of their worst and maybe some of one of the worst in advertising history because it's it's basically a callback to 1984 with none of the panache. It's it's really kind of doom and gloom and there's not the cathartic moment of the screen blowing up at the end it, it will link that one too it it's a weird one and um but also done by the same advertising agency chiat day but we'll skip over that one <laughs> and in fact I, I kind of hate to do this you know the whole point of going back and looking at this rich history is to chronicle everything as it goes but i think we're going to have a bit of a jump here now anyway after 1984. And I think the reason that I've attributed to this in hindsight is it's while Jobs was gone. Because as you know, Jobs was ousted from Apple relatively shortly after the announcement and release of the Mac. And I think that whole period from 1985 to 1997 was not an iconic period, at least in terms of Apple's television advertising. So we're going to jump over to the print side where we can see some of the more fun campaigns that they were able to put together in that time. (laughs) I think the thing that sums this up the best is uh, there's... uh, This is directly from Wikipedia, which is never wrong. Um, But I think it really sums it up well how this interregnum period went. So Apple's famous 1984 commercial was created by advertising agency Chiat Day. In 1986, CEO Michael Spindler replaced Chiat Day with agency BBDO. 
Big mistake. Under CEO Gil Emilio, BBDO pitched an internal marketing meeting at the then-struggling Apple, a new brand campaign with the slogan, We're Back. <laughs> Reportedly, everyone in the meeting expressed approval with the exception of the recently returned Jobs, who said, quote, the slogan was stupid because Apple wasn't back. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a delightful Jobs quote. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, a lot of the stuff that came out during this period was just kind of standard for the era. Like an Apple ad, whether in print or on TV, was probably indistinguishable from an ad for something like Packard Bell or uh, Gateway and the machines of that time. And if you re rewind even further, if you look at their ads from the 70s, which were basically all print advertisement, because especially at the beginning before the Apple II really took off, they were on huge, you know, huge budget restrictions. You're looking at print advertising. And it was par for the course for the time, way more words than pictures, mm -hmm. for one. And the whole notion was that you could convince someone to buy a computer with four paragraphs of text. And... I mean, that's it. just if you look at back at advertising in pretty much any field back to that era and certainly before, you know, you go back to like really old newspaper advertisements from, uh, you know, like World War One, World War Two area. And it's just like walls of text because, well, you know, that was the best way to describe a product at the time. And for the Apple II era, that was the best way to describe a product at the time was just to lay out what its features were. And like you said, Brian, in the 90s, it got a lot more, like, I want to say product and feature focused. So you have these advertisements that are a combination, you know, they are more multimedia at this point. They're a combination of pictures and text. And I think they evolved. We'll put a few pictures in the show notes as well. They evolved to this point where I think when they matured in the later 90s, Apple would centerpiece a particular product or an aspect of a product or some symbol for a product. I'm thinking of like um, the Sherlock hat logo when that was a major feature in Mac OS that would just, that logo would just be the center of the ad. And then there would be little blurbs of text sort of encircling it to say what was going on. One that I found particularly entertaining though, before it got to that point where you could just highlight the product and then maybe convince people on the side was an advertisement campaign that went with the original launch of Mac OS 8. And the whole theme was that <laughs> this uh, next generation futuristic operating system had basically just dropped from outer space. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't know. I mean, I guess that's a pretty good way to describe the Copeland project and its replacement. Well, this is, this is not happening. We better just fish something out of the air, which was, uh, anyhow. And so it, the imagery there was literally a UFO with the little Mac OS 8 box coming out of it. But of course, that doesn't necessarily sell you on the operating system especially if you're still coming from this notion of, I want to see the product, I want to hear a description of the product. What Okay, what is actually new about Mac OS 8? Especially since at that time, it was a costly paid upgrade. I remember having to actually sit down and convince my parents to upgrade to OS 8. I had to like put together like, what are the benefits? <laughs> I did a similar thing and I, I um, used the Aaron extension. Like, it'll look like this. 
but it'll cost money when I'm doing it right now for free. I, I told them that spring-loaded folders were the best thing since sliced bread, and they looked at me like I had three heads. Uh, <laughs> as someone who's been fighting spring-loaded folders over the past couple days, because I've got the uh, the new Magic Trackpad, and it's a learning experience, and folders popping open everywhere. <laughs> anyway, this macOS 8 ad, the actual feature description in it and the thing that's supposed to sell it to you is the amazing new multitasking capabilities in OS 8, which, to be honest, were breakthrough. That was what was going to make your daily experience of working with a Mac so much more different than preemptive multitasking in System 7.5. And the way that they showed this off, something else that I've seen a lot recently, setting up a new Mac, is there's an actual screenshot in the ad with two file copy dialog boxes with progress bars going at the same time going, look, you can copy two file, <laughs> two folders at the same time. This is the best thing ever. Which, I mean, you know, we laugh at it now. It was revolutionary at the time, but it gives an idea of the ways that they thought that they could show that off. And they were fairly limited. There was one television ad that kind of stood aside from this. Let's talk about the features. Let kind of a Mad Libs version, like talk about feature A, talk about feature B, showcase product C. And it was a tie-in with the first Mission Impossible movie because Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt and his team used power books in that movie. And, uh, I think certainly in James Bond and maybe in Mission Impossible recently, uh, they've been uh, released by Sony's movie branch. So they're all using those Vio and uh, whatever the the phones. So it was it was kind of cool. Yeah, there was just a link on Daring Fireball the other day about Sony offered them, I think, five million dollars to Daniel Craig, just to him individually to use a Sony Xperia phone. That's what it is, Xperia. And I, I couldn't figure out what the eventual outcome was because I haven't seen the movie yet, um, whether they actually went with that or not. But the pushback was that, quote, Bond uses the best. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this is not the best phone. This is, this is the phone you want people to see on screen. But like, who would even recognize that? I mean, we're, we recognize that because... We follow the stuff and we read the article on the side, but who would see that phone and go, I know which Sony phone that is? I guess they figured they need all the help they could get. But yeah, PowerBooks apparently featured heavily in the original Mission Impossible movie, which I have not seen in a long, long time. Uh, And it was the PowerBook 1400 that was specifically being featured. So not only was there a commercial, a TV spot, uh, that combined footage from the movie with little glamour product shots of the power book and of course the ultimate cheesy line to close the commercial is after you see the movie you may want to pick up the book beyond that there was even a tie-in website which mercifully mercifully the wayback machine just goes back to 1996 (laughs) and we'll put a link to that in our show notes here it is on the wayback machine apple computer presents Mission Impossible, The Web Adventure. Oy. And uh, let's see, there's buttons for sweepstakes, start mission, merchandise, one with a 
heavily embossed in Photoshop Apple logo, one with the Paramount logo. And at the bottom, about this server, because that's important. (laughs) But yeah, these were the kinds of deals that Apple was doing that was, I mean, those were the sexy deals that they were doing and getting uh, their products into mainstream culture and being recognized in that way, where their standard TV ads at this time were really just that standard garden variety. What, what does that thing do and put it in some sort of almost sitcom-y situation to point that out. One that I found one, the way I was looking for this was like, well, okay. I know that my family's first Mac was a power Mac 6100. The power Macs themselves were a big deal. That was a whole new architecture for Apple, whole new generation of machines. Surely they advertised these specifically. So I looked for an ad for the Power Mac 6100 and turned this one up called the Business Macintosh, which is just stereotypical old white guy businessman who has a floppy disk with important things on it, and the you know the young punk with his Mac is able to do something with it. But it was in that very much old style. I mean, th- these must have been all the ads that were done under BBDO, uh, that agency. They all had a very similar look. They they all had this just very warm, understated color palette. And one other thing that we'll link to in the show notes, this is, <laughs> it's just a completely ridiculous YouTube video. It's called 30 Years of Mac Ads in 60 Seconds. And as you can tell, that means that you're not going to be able to see much of anything in any of them. <laughs> uh, but you can see that there's kind of an inflection point as this goes through where, of course, we start with 1984, and then the first 30 seconds of 60, everything is kind of flying along in the same color palette. And, of course, ending with a product shot of Beige Mac at the end, and then, well, Beige doesn't look good, so you warm it up. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons that they went for the warm color palette is because something that's sort of pleasing sunset colors, orange, warm, is better than office fluorescent beige. But you'll notice there's this inflection point in the supercut where it goes from the old way to the new way of Apple advertising, and they've kind of very nicely spliced in about a two-second clip of Johnny Ive with hair, which is kind of terrifying these days. (laughs) I I kind of imagine that he was always bald. Um, And he's talking about the 20th anniversary Macintosh in there. And that's the point where Ive is starting to take over in terms of greater creative roles, and that's because Steve Jobs is back. And Steve Jobs was responsible. (laughs) Well, we got that image from the boardroom when before he was CEO, but was back at the company, where (laughs) he's just telling everyone, "This this is dumb, we need to do something different. And the thing that he did that was so different was that he got, first of all, he got Chiat Day back on board as the advertising company. And that was because they pitched one of Apple's most famous campaigns of all time, which was Think Different. Yeah, we will put a link to the full story in the show notes. It's written by uh, one of the creative directors of Chiat Day at that time, Rob Siltonen. And uh, he wrote this piece kind of in response to Walter Isaacson's Steve Jobs biography, 
where it was implied that Steve conceptualized and, and wrote the script for the spot himself. And that's not really the case. It makes for a great story and one that I'm sure is played up in either of the Jobs movies, neither of which I have seen. But it's it's a complete departure from the commercials that Apple and the rest of the industry were doing. Like I'd said, those were mainly focused on selling you a specific product based on specific features. And with the Think Different campaign, it turned into there's there's no product footage. There's no mention of the product. It's selling you an idea and an idea that Apple wants you to associate with it as a corporate identity. And that's the to be creative, to think differently. Uh, think different could be even conceived of or interpreted as a direct response to IBM's famous Think campaign. Apple had long pitted itself against IBM, the, the spreadsheet guys, and they were the make your movies guys. Yeah, and we saw, I think it was when we were looking at the uh, the Triumph of the Nerds episodes that even back in like 84, 85, they had basically mocking posters in the office that said think, but with the rainbow apple. So this goes way back. Right. So for those of you who haven't seen or don't remember this campaign, the TV ads were set to a script that begins with the sentence, here's to the crazy ones. We covered this in our Easter eggs episode because this text has shown up in little hidden places of Apple software since then. Oh, I recently found a new one. Ooh, where? Which which is if you have a Retina Mac. Oh. <laughs> sorry. Rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a Retina Mac and you go to the Displays Preference pane, and you uncheck the default scaling, there's the five levels of scaling, and the little thumbnail images that suggest the relative size for the different scalings have a a window and you can see the three little window widgets and the content of the window is here's to the crazy ones. Yeah. So it's, it's the here's to the crazy ones speech that Steve jobs did not actually write himself, but was it obviously a a big part of, uh, and the footage is of the creative and pioneering figures of history. That article that you mentioned earlier by Rob Siltonen, who was at Chiat Day at the time, I really recommend checking it out, um, although it's the page that it's on is a little bit wonky. We're going to link to the print version, and you're going to have to t- tell, your, tell your Mac to not uh, print this page, but it gets it all on one page. Um, it's really delightful and has lots of artifacts that he was privy to and has kept from that time and has pictures of them, and one of them is an early handwritten version of the here's to the crazy ones text, which is a little bit different than the one that went into the ad. And he's like, this, this is my piece of paper. This is my handwriting. I, I was involved in this. Um, and of course he's staking his ground here to combat against these other stories. But the fact that, uh, that this has been, even if, you know, those wrong or incorrect stories were what brought this out. It's great that then we have this added to the record and I think my favorite one is also he has um, he has a sketch of one of the other things that's prominent in the campaign, which is just juxtaposing the Apple logo and the, the tagline, Think Different. And he has a hand-drawn sketch of it that looks like <laughs> about how I would be able to hand 
free draw an Apple logo with the stripes. It's totally misshapen. <laughs> and instead of beautiful Apple Garamond text underneath, it's just whatever his handwriting is. The main Think Different spot was a 60-second spot, and it had the Think Different speech narrated by Richard Dreyfus as the audio track, and then video footage of, again, these creative and, and pioneering people like Albert Einstein, Dylan, Martin Luther King. There's a whole list uh, that I won't go through here. And all black and white. All in black and white. I presume that that was for consistency, because some of the people that they were drawing footage on was only black and white. And then some of the more recent people, they might have had color footage, but they, they wanted to keep it consistent, the tone of the piece. But it does create a very striking tone, especially because this was a television ad. And, you know, it was 1997, and people were not used to black and white on their TVs. And so you would be watching something, and the ad would come up, and it wasn't a minute, well, about 57 seconds solid of black and white footage with this voiceover. Here's to the crazy ones. The misfits. The rebels. The troublemakers. The round pegs in the square holes. The ones who see things differently. And again, that was Richard Dreyfus who narrated the Here's to the Crazy One speech for the spot that aired on TV. But there's a wrinkle, which is that there are two versions of this ad, and the Dreyfus one was the only one that ever went out on broadcast television. But another version is narrated by Steve Jobs. And to me, I don't know, maybe we're sentimental, especially looking back at this, but I think that Jobs has his heart in it a lot more. Some of the contemporary reactions to this campaign, which was also award-winning for, at this point, TWBA Chiat Day, they went through lots of name changes and whether there were forward or backslashes in their names or whatever. <laughs> um, I think it was for kerning purposes. It looks better with the A. But anyway, <laughs> um, this was an award-winning ad, and people said that Dreyfus really had this great performance to it. But I feel like Jobs is much more heartfelt. And because, I don't know, he had more skin in the game. Dreyfus was hired to do voice work, where this, I think, I think Jobs knew that there were, he had a limited number of saving throws to get Apple back. Apple wasn't back. He needed to get Apple back. This was one of his big cards to play was the new advertising campaign. Of course, also new products that were coming up shortly thereafter. But I think that his version really nails it. Here's to the crazy ones. The misfits. The rebels. The troublemakers. The round pegs in the square holes. The ones who see things differently. And it's great that it came, you know, it came to light after the fact, and now we have it on YouTube free to play. I, I don't know. I think the ad would have gone over just as well either way. There's a story that goes along with this. I don't know whether it's apocryphal or not, but the rumor is that basically they did both of these versions and that, um, it was coming down to the launch day of the campaign, and apparently, I guess, the networks that had the the tapes in hand, what are they going to roll on 
the first runs of this ad campaign. The, the story goes that Jobs made the decision the morning of. I pre- presume these were airing in prime time in the United States. And he decided that he was going to go with the Dreyfus version because it was good and that he didn't want the campaign to be about himself, where he thought that the commentary might be that, oh, he has just come back to the company and this is probably the first visible thing that he's really done is to make himself the voice of the company, literally. And he didn't want that. So, like I said, I don't know how how backed up that story is or is not, but it does make for a good story. <laughs> and the ad campaign, of course, made for great advertising. People, the campaign became very iconic because this initial television spot translated into so many other forms. There were print advertisements that were simply a still photo of one of the characters from the spot, or maybe even another uh, recognized genius and just the simple words, think different, and the colored Apple logo and billboards and, and other print still media. I remember seeing them the most in things like Time Magazine, uh, news magazines and publication, popular publications of the time, which had not been displaced by the internet yet. It was very simple. They would take out a full-page ad, and it just went corner to corner, and it was a photo, and it said, Apple logo, think different. And that was to sell computers, which seems a little bit crazy. Here's to the crazy ones. <laughs> pictures pictures of people who did uh, creative things is just going to have computers fly off the shelf. And especially with Apple in the state that it was at that point, we were looking at the early G3 era uh, product line just all over the map, right? I guess the G3 sort of solidified things back together. I don't know if the G3 made it more confusing or not. I thought it was kind of confusing at the time because uh, with the original Power Max, you had the differentiated lines. You had 6100, 7100, 8100, and then uh, went... Uh, 7,500, 8,500, 9,500. With the G3, it's like, this is the Power Macintosh G3. It comes in desktop and tower, and I hope you know the specs beyond that. Meanwhile, the performers are still off in the corner. (laughs) And Think Different is supposed to be selling all of these computers. Well, that's the question. To what extent was it really trying to sell these computers, or was it trying to sell the computers that were forthcoming? One of these computers that coincided with the the rebirth of Apple was, of course, the iMac. And uh, Ed was talking about how most of the computers leading up to this were beige machines that had to be shot in a forgiving, warm glow to make them more visually appealing. But the iMac flipped all that on its head because it was translucent and it was Bondi blue. Uh, So we got to see also some ads from this era that were back to product photography and footage that focused on the IMAX aesthetic appearance, but not only just its appearance uh, at the IMAX launch event, they showed this video about how simple the IMAX was. Remember the I and IMAX was for internet. And so there's this video called the simplicity shootout that showed how long it took a child to uh, take the IMAX out of a box and get on the internet with the aid of his dog. 
Let's be honest here. Yeah, the aid of his dog Brody, <laughs> um, compared to like an MBA uh, holding adult man setting up a PC. Just your like generic middle aged white male office jockey. But he's educated. And he's setting up, I forget what, was it like an HP pavilion? Yeah. It was like the, the consumer HP home desktop. And strike one is that it comes in two boxes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but this was like a three minute video that was shown at the product launch. And my favorite part of the video is that they're showing, and now the kid's going to get the iMac out of the box. So the the kid is maybe only like a head taller than the box (laughs) that it came in. And like, he's, he's opened it up and you immediately realize like, yeah, this video was actually the start of unboxing videos. Nobody cared about pulling products out of boxes before and documenting that experience. But you see inside that original iMac box that what they had looks, I mean, it's substantially different in shape, but the kind of techniques that they use in Apple packaging, the things where there's like a circular cutout and you can pull that piece out and there's something recessed that fits just exactly inside of that. I mean, I was unloading my new iMac just a few days ago and I opened up the top and I went, what is this? And I pulled out this box that came from a piece of the box. I couldn't even figure out how it fit in there. And it was the keyboard. It looked like it would have like sliced through the monitor itself. You know, so clever packaging. Um, and the kid is going through all the clever packaging. You know, he gets out the, the manuals and the uh, whatever, whatever's in there at the top level. <laughs> and then he's got, he undoes the big flap and there's the iMac inside. And there's this really, um, clever graceful cut <laughs> where he reaches into the into the box and the next thing you know the IMAX on the table yeah this computer that probably weighs half as much as he does oh exactly like there's no way that this kid had the leverage or arm strength <laughs> to get it out of the box so i i think brody did it and of course the kid is able to set up the computer in what like 7 minutes and it takes the adult man 28 or something because he has to plug in all his cables and he has to download all the driver updates, but the Mac comes out of the box ready to go. And I think that ad was also, I mean, it was a promo video to start and then it was cut down to a basically 30 second spot also for, for television. The iMac didn't stop at Bondi blue. Of course, as we all know, it was the first major Apple product to come in lots of different colors. So they had an ad campaign to go with it. This was the five flavors IMAX, which came very quickly on the heels of the original. And this is the point where instead of going from the total abstract of here are creative people, wouldn't you like to be like them, think different, to look at this gorgeous hardware where it's saying, okay, we've we've planted the seed in your mind that this is something that's going to be useful and productive for you, but just look how awesome it is. And the five flavor IMAX fly around the screen um, and rotate around. And that's it. There's music and flying IMAX for 30 seconds. And at the end, Apple logo with a changing color Apple logo. And it says, think different because that was the unifying force of the campaign after the here's to the crazy one ads. It was primarily featured as tagline, just it was obligatory. End of every Apple spot, two seconds, Apple logo think different. And the theme would change a little bit. 
So for these early iMac ads, it was on the pinstripes of the iMac case. And for the original iMac, it was just the Bondi Blue Apple logo, like I said, for the colors campaign. Um, or as it came out in poster format, uh, yum. Because <laughs> they were like, you know, they were like candy gumdrops. They were lickable. Um, so the poster version or the print campaign version of that was the fanned out pattern of the five flavor iMacs and it said yum. And I thought that that was probably somewhere in the TV spot, but it wasn't. And I've seen that TV spot a hundred times if I've seen it once. Um, and no, you go back and there's no other text in that ad except think different. So they're really on message with the campaign. Speaking of, so I, I mentioned the yum poster. Um, one of the things that was part of the sort of sideshow <laughs> to the Think Different campaign was the fact that posters were produced that went along with the campaign as well. And they were like the print advertisements, but they were much larger and would feature just one of these black and white photos and, and the Think Different tagline. And these were, and I presume still are, rather highly collectible. And this was about the time... Well, a few years later, I got into collecting some of the Apple ephemera and posters. And uh, one that I have is I have a, I forget if it's a Yum poster or cloth banner. I think it's, uh, I think it's, I think it might actually be the banner, but I'll have to check. Um, and I collected many of these other campaigns that we'll get to in a moment, but I never got my hands on a actual Think Different poster. Because they were out of my budget. <laughs> um, depending on who you wanted on your Think Different poster, they could go upwards of $200. I think, um, what was it? Picasso was one of the absolute rarest ones. It was just a very limited print run. It was mostly distributed to Apple employees, their friends, or as gifts to people that they had done business deals with. And so getting your hands on one of those was pretty, pretty difficult. There was also a separate run that only went out to education customers. And I think, again, I'm going to have to check all of this uh, when when I visit my parents and can raid the closet again. <laughs> um, I think I have one of the Martin Luther King Ooh, yeah. uh, versions of the education posters, which actually came in their education publication. So unlike the regular posters, which you know, were were rolled when they were distributed. This was folded, so it has crease lines in it, but it was only released in in that context. Anyway, that's Apple posters, which is, like I said, a whole little collecting subculture unto itself. I remember that the whole market for it kind of crashed with the economy after September 11th. Um, it, like There was a huge bustling eBay economy for it. Uh, and then just the whole, like the bubble, the dot com bubble burst and September 11th, and just like it kind of faded away. But I'm sure that there's probably some pretty active trade in that stuff now, now that a little bit of time has passed. Along with the IMAX uh, focus on its aesthetics, its simplicity, uh, Apple had an ad campaign where they got Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Uh, people always ask me how I pronounce my name, Goldblum or Goldblum. Uh, I always tell them the same thing. How dare you speak to me? 
extolled uh, its virtues in other ways. How again, how simple it was, how affordable it was, how it was the gateway to the internet. And it's listening to some of these. It's just like it's comedy. It's maybe unintentional comedy because he's got that delivery that he only he does and he never stops doing, regardless of what character he's playing in a movie or TV show. Um, so like one of the first ones was how the iMac uh, is just two steps to the internet. You plug in the power and you plug in the modem cable. There is no step three. And towards the end of the commercial, he just kind of laughs to himself. There's no step three. There's no step three. <laughs> he's, he's incredulous. He can't, he can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, wait a minute. Okay. So yeah, you plug in the power and then it boots. You plug in the modem cable, okay, it's connected to your phone line, but you actually need an internet provider. So there must be a step three. What is the real actual step three? And I thought, wait, what about eWorld? No, eWorld had already been canceled by this point because it was shut down in 96. So I looked up what okay, what was the bundled software that came with the original iMac? Because if you're saying it's really ready out of the box, it must have been some sort of bundled software that offered internet access as well. And it looks like the key partner in this was Earthlink. Yeah, I remember that. So step three is uh, set up your Earthlink account, which the dog can do in under seven minutes. One other fun spot from the Goldblum campaign which is trying to trying to sell you on the idea of this is actually useful, getting back to that feature-oriented stuff. So the original campaign for Think Different was just, how is this selling computers? Well, here's Jeff Goldblum as a pitch man to actually tell you why the iMac is great. In sound bites, but he's still talking about the actual features of the computer. One other thing that was interesting was that the iMac was pitched as a consumer product and available for consumer prices. Uh, and one thing that Apple offered from the beginning with the iMac was a financing program. And their thing was that you could get it for $29.99 a month. So under 30 bucks. which Goldblum goes on for 30 seconds about how 30 bucks it's like, it's like three pizzas, because... Pizza is $10 a pizza in 1997. Can you imagine for the same cost as three pizzas, you own a computer? Which is like the oldest trope in the book and just still kicks around, especially in the Apple circles today. And look at iOS app pricing and how, I mean, people are just ready to smack each other when they invoke the, well, you could, it's less than the price of a latte. Uh, for this iOS app, and you could help support starving developers. It's like, I mean, yes, it's true. <laughs> but it's like the tiredest argument. And Apple actually brought it out to say, look, this is affordable. You don't have to give up much for it. There are many more Jeff Goldblum spots. And I want to spotlight one final one where he talks about the i and iMac, the internet, and the kinds of things that you can do with a connected computer like go on Internet Explorer 5 and browse the web. Which is shown off in full screencast glory in one of these spots. Or uh, share your iMovie that you've made on your computer on the iTools homepage. Yeah, we we covered that uh, the, the terrible iMovie sharing. And I think, I, I forget which episode we, we talked about that. 
but I was only able to find some like very low res screenshot of what it was supposed to look like. But it's actually boom right there, like on screen in moving pictures in this ad. So we'll make sure to link that one up as well. And if you don't remember, the first thing that you could do with iMovie was you could share your movies on the internet, which revolutionary way, way, way before YouTube. Um, what nine years before YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. So, and QuickTime was making this possible, but the border for your movie was, I mean, it's, we're talking like super old timey, TV set, like the picture isn't even rectangular. And this particular internet commercial started a little meme about uh, Jeff Goldblum. Maybe he was drunk or, you know, he sounds like a rambling drunk person. No, he's just himself. <laughs> right. The, w- the way that they got him to sound drunk was that people artificially slowed down the video, which does produce a pretty hilarious in fact. <laughs> you go from Jeff Goldblum talking about the internet like this. What do you think the greatest gift of the holidays is? Internet? I'd say internet. To Jeff Goldblum talking about the internet like this. What do you think the greatest gift of the holidays is? Internet? I'd say internet. The second one is clearly the better internet. Perhaps more accurate. (laughs) Yeah, especially for the time that Earthlink dial-up. One thing that's interesting about this campaign before we move on is the... Just the aesthetics of it. So we've gone through the traditional advertising into Think Different, which was, yeah, that's a clear break from ordinary TV ads. And now we also went through those early stages of very product hardware focused in Johnny Ives white room kind of advertisements. And guess what? That's also the setting for these ads with Goldblum. He's just... He's there. He's got like a really like oversized button down shirt because I don't know, it was the late 90s. <laughs> um, and uh, he's just he's not in front of a green screen. He's not putting his hand on the product. He's not pitching it in any way like that. He is just there on white background talking to the camera. And that's it. Like it, there's a simplicity to it that then carries through pretty much every campaign that we're going to cover uh, as we go here. I mean, things have maybe changed in the last couple of years, but we're not going to focus on those quite as much because we assume that you've seen those ads. So the next one that we're going to talk about also takes place on a white backdrop. Yeah. Like Ed mentioned before, the iMac wasn't the only G3 machine at the time. There were desktops and towers and PowerBooks. And Apple released a set of ads talking about how the G3 chip was uh, more efficient, more powerful, and all around better than Intel's Pentium 2 chip, which was their flagship at the time. And this is where Apple starts to get a little bit more, a little bit more chutzpah. Yeah. <laughs> because in this campaign, they go directly after uh, Pentium and Intel. And they, in fact, go directly after one of Intel's famous ad campaigns of their own, which was their uh, series of ads featuring people in the Intel, quote, bunny suits, which were their clean room suits that I guess to some people in Intel would have had to use when actually manipulating equipment that was doing the integrated circuits for their their chips, because they did have to be manufactured in a clean room environment. But the advertisements that 
Intel put out gave you the impression that literally everyone who works at Intel is always in clean room suit all the time uh, and is also having a complete blast because they're uh, dancing around to disco music that they are able to now play on the glorious multimedia capabilities of their Pentium 2 based Windows PCs. Here, we'll give you a taste of what Intel was putting out on the broadcast airwaves. Nearby, other Intel technicians are adding something new. Again, some very careful edits. Um, <laughs> let's play that funky music, and there's there's kind of a drop <laughs> where they oh don't say white boy, <laughs> which is uh, kind of funny given that all of the people in the Intel bunny suits are all wearing white. <laughs> um, anyhow, so this was a big campaign for the hardware on the PC side that was that was backing up Windows 95 and soon to be Windows 98. And Apple went straight at it saying, look, your hardware is, seems so great because you've got dancing people, but our hardware is actually faster. And the way that they did this was they said, was you get the same sort of ridiculous advertising setup where you've, where it's music driven and you're going, what's going on here? And eventually it, it's, POV shot from the bunny guy <laughs> and he eventually gets sprayed down with a uh, fire extinguisher and the the notion is that uh, the Intel chips are toast comparison to the extremely fast PowerMac G3. And it's set to uh, Disco Inferno Burn Baby Burn. Yep. Another dig at their music choice from the, the Intel ad. The PowerBook G3 also had some really great aggressive advertising. So at the rollout for the PowerBook G3, the Wall Street, codename Wall Street version, at the actual announcement of it also, as Apple still likes to do, the advertising campaign makes an appearance on stage and comes along with it. And if there's a particularly good line from the campaign, it also gets featured in the keynote. And We'll put a link to the spot in the keynote, which is very jarring because Steve Jobs is wearing a suit <laughs> uh, because he hasn't been back at Apple for for very long yet. But it's Jobs and Schiller who are showing off the new PowerBook G3. They're showing off the excellent case that it has. I mean, strategies that Apple still employs to this day. Here's a shot of it from the front. Here's a shot of it from the side. Look how thin it is, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing that was really going to sell it was the tagline, which he reveals, where he shows the photo of the screen open from the front with a huge picture of a great white shark coming right at you. And the line that goes with it is, It eats Pentium notebooks for lunch, too. And that would be green enough, as it were, but I think the print campaign that went with this was really pretty neat because... Uh, I know at least they did it in Mac and tech publications like Macworld, which is where I think I saw it the first time, but maybe also in mainstream publications, like you mentioned, Brian, the Newsweeks and Time magazines, places that they were putting uh, Think Different ads as well. They took out fold-out ads, which were pretty common at the time. I mean, that was going to be the most expensive ad in any print publication, but uh, they took out fold-out ads 
where if you folded it out, <laughs> surprise, there's the shark for one. But second of all, they made it so that the image on the ad as it folded out was one-to-one scale of the actual size of the PowerBook. And one of the things that they were touting was the size and vibrancy of its display. And by just shocking you <laughs> with this huge picture of the shark and then saying, like, th- if you had this image, this is exactly what it would look like, it created you know, just that wow factor in the campaign, but it was also still going right to what are, what are the features? What makes this product great? Another PowerBook G3 ad that I remember, and I think it was for the bronze keyboard Lombard model, was that it uh, it had all these great features, this great power, this great screen, uh, but it also had enough battery life to, quote, watch Austin Powers twice. How long is Austin Powers? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I mean, like most movies are between an hour and a half, two and a half hours, somewhere in that sweet spot. Anyway, uh, the claim as it was tested by, I think the San Francisco Chronicle was kind of Apple's dubious claim of like, you get five-ish hours of battery life if you turn the brightness all the way down and your Wi-Fi is off and you're just like staring at an empty text document. And the running time of Austin Powers is... 95 minutes, according to IMDb. (laughs) Is 95 minutes. So, uh, yeah, like those claims match up. But obviously, if you've got a DVD in the DVD bay and it's spinning and, you know, like the QuickTime extension is running to to decode and display the stuff, you're not going to get through Austin Powers twice on one charge. But, I mean, that was one of the huge features to begin with was that you could watch Austin Powers once. <laughs> That's true. Because because it had a DVD drive. And then as Ed pointed out in our outline, this was the model of PowerBook that had a modular base system. You could watch Austin Powers zero times and get tons of battery. <laughs> yeah. Because direct from the PDF manual for the PowerBook, quote, you can configure your computer with a battery in each expansion bay. This configuration is especially useful when you need to use your PowerBook under battery power for a long amount of time such as on a long plane flight. Some of the other details in there are pretty funny. It's like, if you have this, it drains the left battery first, (laughs) completely down to zero, and then it starts on the right battery. (laughs) Like some weird, weird stuff going on in in the guts of that machine. But you could get extremely good battery life that way. These were the PowerBook G3 specific, but there were still other ads uh, that talked about how the G3 chip itself was better than the Pentium 2. There's one of a snail slowly going across the the TV screen, and it has a Pentium 2 chip on its back. I've got the poster for that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And like these were digs at Intel. Now we all know eventually Apple switched from Motorola and PowerPC to Intel processors. And uh, the first ad to come out touting the availability of Intel within Macs uh, arrived with a little bit of controversy because it was nearly a shot-for-shot replica of a certain segment of the video for the Postal Service's song, Such Great Heights. So people uh, realized that the similarities pretty much immediately when the ad started airing, and then did a little digging and found that the team behind the ad was the same directing team that did the video. So like, oh, maybe it's okay. But then Ben Gibbard came out and said like, well... This is still kind of our thing, and we never said it was cool to to redo 
uh, in service of a commercial. So go back to thinking it's not cool, please. And I remember, uh, I remember that controversy because I was really into that album around that time. I was on the side of the postal service for the record. Didn't uh, the postal service actually have that song? Wasn't UPS? Yeah. Ironically used, uh, ironically used that song by the postal service, their competition in a series of ads uh, shortly after then. That guy who drew on the whiteboard. Yep. Yep. I liked that campaign. Yeah. I, I always thought that was pretty funny though. Once I realized uh, what was going on with the, with the music in that campaign. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that was the the G3 versus Pentium era of Apple campaigns. Yeah, in the heat of the megahertz wars. Exactly. And then uh, if power wasn't enough to convince people to switch, Apple actually started making a switch campaign featuring real stories from people who had a, a nightmare situation on a PC and then came to the hallowed ground that was the Mac and Mac OS. Uh, And these were more people trapped uh, in the white room. And uh, this time the camera was like pretty tightly focused on their face. What did you do with Jeff? (laughs) He's in the white room now. He's using a Mac. Uh, And so we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but there was one particular commercial out of this campaign that uh, drew a lot of attention. Oh, poor, poor Ellen Feiss. (laughs) She did nothing wrong. (laughs) No, if you, uh, if you believe her, she had, stayed up late the night before shooting and was on a lot of Benadryl to combat her allergies. Uh, but it doesn't help that her, her, her nightmare story about being on a PC is that it ate her term paper or in her words. And it was like, bleep, 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 bleep. and then like half of my paper was gone. And I was like, mm-hmm. her, her general demeanor, which I think is just supposed to capture like, Oh, the youth <laughs> uh, she also has like pretty bloodshot, half closed eyes, and so everyone's like, "Oh, of course, this girl is just like straight up on drugs." Well, who who knows that? I mean, the lights in Johnny's room must be pretty bright to keep everything so stark white. But yeah, the 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 thing was, oh my gosh, Apple ran this ad, and this girl was high the whole time. What what does it say about Apple? What does it say about their products? Who cares? Poor Ellen Feist. Yeah, there were many other good examples of the switch campaign and uh apple started creating guides on the side like do you want to switch to the mac do you want to be a switcher and uh saying okay look many of the people that were getting to the imac and the similar uh similar devices they're not first-time computer users they are coming from windows and we need to cater to them and in terms of the advertising angle I was trying to get at this earlier. Basically, these are the same as the Jeff Goldblum ads, except instead of a famous Hollywood actor, they have ordinary people, probably for budgetary reasons and to be more relatable. But then Apple started a new campaign that I think might be one of its most well-known outside of the like one-off Think Different in 1984 ads. Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. So they went back to Hollywood pitchmen for this campaign. Well, I mean, to be honest, though, at this point, we had one known and one unknown, at least in the U.S. Because there were there were international versions of this campaign, which I didn't really know about, but we'll get to it in a minute. Um, but, of course, in the U.S., Justin Long is the Mac, and John Hodgman is the PC. And 
Justin Long is dressed in jeans, t-shirt, usually like a zipper hoodie. And John Hodgman has some sort of stodgy business suit. And <laughs> I was thinking, okay, so I think, you know, this was the big break in Hodgman's career, I, w- I would say, um, because it put his comedy ability in front of the entire nation. And the series went on for many, many, many installments of the the ad campaign, and people almost looked forward to them. Someone would, you would be watching TV and you'd go, oh my gosh, this is a new Get a Mac ad. Uh, because they all looked so similar, because they all started with them just standing in the same position in relatively similar clothing on a white backdrop, and you had to pay attention. <laughs> but before this campaign, I was thinking, okay, what was Hodgman known for? Um, so he had a small comedy career before this. He had uh, published his book, The Areas of My Expertise, and he was primarily known for that. Um, it was praised by John Stewart, host of The Daily Show. He uh, particularly liked the chapter on hobo names. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, that was the height of his career to this point. Um, but this was a good campaign, I thought, because it blended. Yes, it was absolutely going for humor, right? But also, again, getting back to core features, not just going abstract or not being like some beer ad where it's like, oh, look, funny, funny, haha situation, drink Miller Lite. You know, it, it, they weren't just throwing up Apple logo think different at the end and hoping that you remembered that it was it was about their computers. The features of the computers were not only being talked about, but being personified in these characters. We should talk about maybe our favorites from this series. Uh, like my favorite was the personification of the importance of having MagSafe on your laptops. It starts with PC in like almost a full body cast in a wheelchair, and the Mac is normal. And he says he had an accident. Someone pulled on his cord in a coffee shop and sent him crashing to the floor. And uh, Justin Long says like, "Oh well, I'm a Mac, so I have a MagSafe. It just pops right off, and it makes a little with his with his mouth." Uh, and actually, uh, the reason I like this commercial is for like the two seconds at the end where they actually didn't say think different. They showed either, uh, an Intel MacBook or the Intel iMac with, uh, the Apple logo and just the word Mac on it for the final two seconds. Cause it's get a Mac, right? I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. Uh, and it's usually just the product standing alone without any semblance of wires or anything in the Johnny Ive white room, but for the accident, one, they replicated the, the little MagSafe cord popping off the, the laptop for those final two seconds. Yeah, I think some of my favorites were actually some of the early ones that went to you know, the stereotypical problems of PCs. Um, one of them is that you have to restart them all the time. And Mac's like, uh, no, I, I, I don't have to restart. I, I never kernel panic, I, I swear. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, the the way that it's done where where Hodgman just completely freezes up twice in the span of uh of thirty seconds and the reaction. We had him and we lost him. I'm gonna go get IT. That's that's definitely one of my favorites. So I thought that this was the only you know, this was the whole campaign. Um but apparently if you go overseas, there were localized versions of the campaign. Yes. In the United Kingdom you have the comedy duo Mitchell and Webb, David Mitchell and Robert Webb, uh, Mitchell as PC and Webb as Mac. 
And uh, I knew them from the long-running series Peep Show, where Mitchell plays Mark and Webb plays Jez. And I literally only knew them from the sketch number Wang, <laughs> from that Mitchell and Webb look, I've, I, which I've watched on YouTube many times. I've watched hardly any of the rest of the show. That is the thing I associate with them. That's number Wang. <laughs> I had never seen number Wang until Ed put it in our show notes. <laughs> so we'll definitely put a link. Yeah, it's delightful. A lot of their commercials were pretty much uh, word-for-word replications of the American series, but uh, they had some that were localized content-wise as well. This feels kind of like a US-UK office in reverse. It does. It does. There was also a version in Japan that uh, starred the comedic duo The Ramens. (laughs) The Ramens. And I think some of these have English subtitles. We'll put some in the show notes. but again, the content is localized for the Japanese market as well. It's the one where he's talking about defending against viruses, and it's delightful. No subtitles on this one that I saw. It You get the entire gist of it um, just through the few English loan words that are in there, <laughs> um, plus just the mannerisms and PC, you know, PC character has his suit on, but on top of that, he has like makeshift armor that looks like it's cobbled together out of like baseball catcher gear and like, (laughs) and he's supposed to be like the samurai defending himself from viruses. (laughs) Uh, And and Mac, for the life, the guy looks, he's got the, he, they must have shown him the Justin Long ones because he's got like, he's got the mannerisms down, just the sort of like, Shruggy shoulders with the t-shirt, just like, I don't see what the problem is here. <laughs> so this this campaign was localized for different markets. It ran for an incredibly long time with so many different uh, installments. And it wasn't just TV. Uh, there were kind of like interactive flash web ads, which we would hate today, right? Because we were in the age of content blocking and certainly the age of flash is blocking dead. flash. Exactly. Uh, but there were smart get a Mac ads uh, that used multiple banner spaces on a single web page. So maybe the, the horizontal banner across the top of an article would have PC calling down to Mac who's in the, vertical banner to the right of the article and they have an interchange that's synchronized. And uh, so some of these compilations of the get a Mac campaign include screen captures of these. And we'll link to those in the show notes as well. And finally, uh, PC, the character PC played by John Hodgman uh, played in the pre-show video for WWDC 2007, where he donned the Steve jobs, black turtleneck and uh, Levi's 501s. And came out on stage to say, I'm Steve Jobs and I'm quitting. You can all go home now uh, before being thwarted by the Mac character. You think these people are really going to believe that you're Steve Jobs? Mm. You're right. You're right. (laughs) Hello, I'm Phil Schiller. So to this point, we've talked almost exclusively about advertising for the Mac. Uh, But now let's talk about one other product that Apple has put a lot of advertising weight behind. And that's the iPod. So the iPod advertising campaign, I think, was another step beyond the type of white room advertisements that we got with uh, the G3 and iMac era and goes a little bit more abstract, and but still in a way that shows off the product. So 
I think the most iconic iPod campaign is the silhouette campaigns. So this kind of inverts the white room in some ways, because instead of being all on a white background, everything is flashes of color. And the people are not there to tell you about how great their iPod is. They're there to show you. They're only in silhouette. They've got their white earbuds in, and they're dancing around having a great time. And that's what you need to know about iPod. You have your music in your pocket. You are in this delightful world of sound and color. (laughs) And it's all possible thanks to the hardware. And, well, one more thing. (laughs) Um, The time that the iPod campaign was coming in was about the time that the Think Different campaign was being phased out. So, like I said way earlier in the show, it was kind of obligatory. It didn't matter what you were advertising in terms of an Apple product. Uh, at the end, you just put two seconds at the end, the Apple logo think different. That's You don't even have to think twice about that. That's just how their ads end. But that campaign was getting phased out at this point. And the big important thing that was getting pushed by the Silhouette campaign, the last two seconds says Mac and PC. So this is going with the time of the iPod's life cycle where iTunes was finally on Windows and this was going to be a product that was not just going to be a Mac accessory, but was going to be a standalone sensation. And so again, these first commercials that set the tone for the campaign were completely flat black silhouettes with their white earbuds, white headphone cords, and the white iPod device usually like clipped to their belt or something so you could see it flashes of it as they danced around or just held it held in hand or held in hand. Right. Uh, and they were dancing to a backdrop of a flat color. Uh, and, and a bunch of campaign installments ran like this with, uh, some different songs in the background. Um, and, and it was, it was a big hit even at this beginning stage. And I think even some of the iPad ooh, iPod packaging, uh, embrace this, like one of the sides of the iPod boxes had these silhouettes dancing in it. They're, of course, the colors of the uh, famous iPod socks. <laughs> yes. Match yeah. the ads. Yep. Yeah, bright, vibrant colors too, not dull, uh, uh, dark shades. And then the first departure from this was uh, <laughs> one of one of Apple's favorite contributors still to this day. Maybe I'm being a downer, but I wrote in the outline, Bono ruins everything. Well, I hated this song because it starts with him shouting. Yes, that's how you count. One, two, three, fourteen. Just in case you hadn't heard the song by U2, which was all over the radio at this time. It was impossible not to have. They wanted to make sure that you could see that it was actually Bono. So... He's a silhouette-ish character, but they've like they've brought up some of the highlights so that you can actually see his face. And uh, I remember getting sick of that ad because yeah, the song was on the radio, but this ad, I think, like for its duration in the campaign, was the only iPod ad, which meant you know it played at every commercial break, and it was just this one. You didn't get a rotation of like four or five different songs. Well, I think at this point they were also pushing. I mean. I don't think it was said explicitly again because there's very limited time to actually say anything overt about the product, just like the last splash at the end of the ad. Um, but I think what they were getting at here was that the iTunes Music Store is available now, and 
this latest greatest song that everybody loves because it's U2 and everybody loves U2. I think that was what they were pushing, saying the most popular music, not just some dance track that we found uh, lying around, favorite of some uh, obscure favorite of some Apple employee. No, like the the most popular music is also on the iPod, Mac, and PC. One thing that is a little bit ironic about this is that Bono is the not perfect silhouette, but of course there is a famous Bono silhouette, which is still there in the iTunes and music apps on iOS. He is the default representation of the artist's icon, and it is a perfect black silhouette. Um, I guess it it is a little bit less obvious that it's Bono, but we would have figured it out with the music. With no context with the icon, I had to be told that it was Bono. But now that I've been told, like the FedEx logo, I will never unsee it. (laughs) And uh, this kind of set a tone for the next wave of iPod and iTunes commercials, uh, having real artists perform as themselves in it. And uh, the next big shift came when they had Eminem perform Lose Yourself in an ad. Right, and this is the first one where the background gets some texture, where he's he's sort of building up a graffitied cityscape as he moves through the 30 seconds of the ad. Yeah. He's still uh, a a black silhouette with the highlights blown up so you can tell that it's him. But yeah, there's there's gritty texture and imagery in the background. He's not just on a flat color. Another innovation came later on with the uh, Fratelli's song, Flathead. And in this ad, they actually flipped the color palette. So it's a black background now. And the people have gone colors. And then they have... You know, various color interactions with each other as they dance across. I got to say, one of the things that was also interesting about the iPod Silhouette campaign is that the lesser known songs, not every single one was a smash hit where they were pulling on the star power of a well-known artist. A lot of the lesser known songs were things that people heard for the first time on the ad and then went, what is that song? And went to find it. And I have to admit that uh, the Fratellis, that whole album, Costello Music, guilty pleasure. Yeah. But I love that album. Yeah, same. <laughs> and, and like very slowly over the years discovered the whole thing. Um, I think I came back to it for the first time after that ad campaign when it started coming up on Pandora, which played only a limited portion of it. And then I just caved and bought the album, you know, years after it came out. Um. But it's got some it's got some extremely catchy songs on there. I think everyone knows Chelsea Dagger. Some other songs that we probably think of as insufferable now that were featured in uh, iPod ads and gained popularity through them. Jet, Are You Gonna Be My Girl? Um, I was at the gym the other day doing a cycling class and it came on. I went, oh, Jet. <laughs> <laughs> um and but this this gets brought up even to this day. Um, I was listening to the All Songs Considered podcast from NPR, uh, and I think just an episode that came out a couple weeks ago. They were talking about the ability for campaigns like this to launch people uh, and to really help people's careers because getting an advertising deal is actually often a lot more money than individual music sales or concert ticket sales. It can be half a year's income just the 
the deal that you get and then also the the boost in sales that you get from it. And one that they cited was actually one of the iPod Nano commercials, which is the song 1234 by Feist. Catchy little song. Yeah. <laughs> and no one had heard of uh of her before that song. She was mostly known as a regional artist in Canada and uh sounded like her sales basically doubled in the first couple weeks after the ad began and then she became a, a well-known artist and this is still you know a, a fact that's being cited to this day and linked to an article uh that came out at the time that showed that we're at the point where Apple's advertisements are not just pushing their own products but are actually having a halo effect yeah uh, one artist who did not need that boost was uh, Paul McCartney, who got his own iPod and iTunes ad in 2007. And this is mostly worth mentioning because it was for an album released just under his name, not as Wings or <laughs> not anything else. And certainly not as the Beatles, because this ad was released in 2007. It was a, another sort of aesthetic change in the iPod ad campaign, but it was well before the Beatles were available on the iTunes store because that did not happen until November of 2010. And when that did happen, that was a huge commercial push from Apple. Uh, I was commuting from Palo Alto to San Francisco uh, during that time. And they, maybe even to this day, they have like certain billboards or always Apple billboards along the 101 in the Bay Area. And uh, when they got the Beatles catalog, you better believe each of those billboards had the black and white photo of all four members of the Beatles standing. That uh, that was also like the front page of Apple.com at that time. And looked a hell of a lot like a Think Different ad. It really did. Yep. And I'm sure that was deliberate. One last product that we're going to talk about here in terms of its ad campaigns, and it's going to launch into the modern era, which then we'll leave up to you. <laughs> to have experienced recently, or if you're feeling nostalgic for the past eight or nine years or so, head to those YouTube archives. The last product that we're going to talk about is the iPod Touch. And I want to talk about this because it's such an interesting story as to how this ad campaign came about. So the iPod Touch has been announced. It's the iPhone-less iPhone. And there needs to be a way to demonstrate all the capabilities of this device. It's not just hold it in your hand and have your earbuds and have some music. It's going well, well beyond that. And the campaign that Apple first launched for the iPod Touch was really launched by a fan who posted an ad concept on YouTube. So the person who created this was Nick Haley. At the time, he was 18 years old and in school. And he said, okay, there's this new Apple product, the iPod Touch. Um, I guess we had already seen a little bit of the iPhone ads that we won't really go into at this time that are showing off demonstrations of the product in action. So he was going with that and he thought, okay, what's a great song that would go along with this? Since it's an iPod, iPod's ads are you know, should have a driving song in the background. And the one that he chose very appropriately or inappropriately, if you actually know the title of the song, <laughs> is Music is My Hot Hot Sex by CSS, uh, which <laughs> Brian has helpfully put in the 
outline here. Not cascading style sheets. It's Cansei de Ser Sexy, which is a Brazilian band. Uh, the name translates tired of being sexy. <laughs> um, the line that is in the song that is the clincher that comes up at the end of the ad is my music is where I'd like you to touch, which is just perfect. I mean, that's, that's the entire, that's the entire thrust of the product. <laughs> so he put the, put up this 30 second spot that he, you know, hacked together himself on his Mac. And Next thing that you know, Apple is contacting him and saying, yeah, we'd like to actually make this ad. Um, And it was the first uh, major television ad for the product. Uh, Turns out that Haley went and actually worked at Apple briefly in 2010. Um, My guess would be like summer internship. Um, We'll link to his website that has that on his CV. Uh, But yeah, it was remade by Apple by Chiat Day. Um, they, they took it and ran with it. They gave him credit, um, obviously gave him that employment opportunity and maybe some other compensation, uh, for, for that, uh, the story of its existence and transition from just a fan project to real broadcast primetime advertisement was covered in New York times, which we'll link to and many others. Uh, my favorite part about it though, is I like the song. It's, it's another one of these ones that, um, basically no one had ever heard of until uh, the campaign started. Even though it was coincidentally used in an ad campaign before being used for the iPod Touch, and not just any ad campaign, a campaign for the Microsoft Zune. Oh man, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I pulled that off of the, the band's Wikipedia page. <laughs> That's fantastic. But yeah, then it, you know, it was a charting song in the US then, and it's a Brazilian band, um, and the song is half in English, half in Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese. And uh, Apple and Jat Day made some very careful edits <laughs> that, t- to his credit, uh, Haley had put in there from the beginning. Um, there are some particularly choice lines. I mean, obviously, the name of the song is Music is My Hot Hot Sex. Um, <laughs> but my favorite one in the whole song is, from all the shit, the one I gotta buy is music. <laughs> Which is not exactly Apple's marketing slogan for the iTunes store. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah, you gotta buy the music. That's kind of the point of the ad. Um, and then the Portuguese part of the song, which um, I had never really looked up until today, and then I put into Google Translate, and boy, it goes off the rails, and it's uh, even less appropriate. People get high off glue, and uh, it, it, it goes, it's a catchy song. How about that? <laughs> and Apple made some very, very clever cuts and came up with, again, they had a ready-made tagline for them. A fan discovered it, and the rest is advertising history. Less than a year after the iPod Touch came out and had this campaign, we saw the launch of the App Store and kind of the the modern... Apple uh, being in the mainstream for everybody, whether it's your music device, your computer, and certainly your smartphone. So uh, with the launch of the App Store in 2008, soon after we got that famous campaign, there's an app for that. And we've had other iPhone and iOS-focused campaigns since. Yeah, I think one of my favorites that's been recently, that's a rather understated campaign, is the Shot on iPhone 6 campaign which is, of course, exclusively, almost exclusively a billboard campaign. 
And the way that that, I mean, that's so powerful because it's, you're looking at a huge billboard, um, either going down the highway or on the side of a downtown building. And it's, it's just a photo and it says shot on iPhone six. And, you know, if you've been using digital cameras for any time, you've always thought like, okay, well, how's, how good's the quality on that camera? Well, it's, it's pretty good. You know, you could print out a, a nice, you know, maybe you could get even, you know, like a, like a nine by 12, you know, really nice, you know, really nice camera from five, 10 years ago, nine by 12 print out of that, but it's not like you're ever going to put it on a billboard. Like, <laughs> and that was, they just took, turned that on its head. They didn't, they didn't make fun of it. There was no light. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't the rim shot. It was just like, okay, this is a photo. It's on a billboard. It was taken with our phone. Draw your conclusions. Walk away. <laughs> um, and so I think that uh, Apple still has the power to create some of those really pithy campaigns that that work in that same way. Absolutely. So that brings us, like I said, brings us up to about the uh, the iPhone. Um, and we'll leave it there for this episode. We've gotten through... Geez, what more than 20 years of Apple advertising. Uh, if you have a favorite Apple ad that we skipped over, please let us know. Uh, you can get in touch with us on our website. There's contact form there. The website is simplebeep.com. And definitely check out the show notes for this episode, because like we said, uh, we tried to get in some of the audio clips where it was appropriate, but sometimes you yeah, just see these ads and many, many YouTube links and links to images of the ads as well. Show notes are on the website. You can get them for this and every episode at simplebeep.com slash episodes. If you'd like to tweet us your favorite YouTube link of a, an Apple commercial, you can tweet us at simple underscore beep. Or you can find us individually on Twitter. I'm E Cormany, E-C-O-R-M-A-N-Y. And I'm at Bisuto, B-S-U-T-O. Thanks and keep thinking different. Not differently. Oh, that was such nonsense. People are like, oh, their, is, their campaign is ungrammatical. Do you understand what it says? It says think different. If you're going to get hung up on that, you've missed the point. <laughs> yep. <laughs>